close your eyes and imagine a creator who is an illustrator, author, world-renowned fabric designer, leader of textile tours to culturally rich destinations, and a Reiki practitioner and personal coach. She has developed her brand into a worldwide phenomenon as a trendsetter in the creation of colorful home and fashion. And she believes that a better world is constantly maintained, not finally achieved. Today, I'll have a chat with none other than Amy Butler. Welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Hello and welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast, where I explore the stories, the connections, and the joy of guests in the quilting world. I'm your host, Brandy Maslowski, the Quilter on Fire, and I can't wait to share this week's episode with you. So here we go. I'm so excited to chat today with Amy Butler. She is known worldwide for her color and design as a multi-passionate creator. You can spot her designs in a second. I think her aesthetic is best described as comfort, in my mind anyway, because every photo on her website evokes a sense of world travel, but also the joy and comfort of home. She has accomplished so much in her career, but always seemed to follow her own unique path. And it's been brilliant to watch the journey of success through recurring self-discovery. She's not afraid to embrace change. There has been so much to learn just from watching her at a distance, and I can't wait to dive into her story. So let's have a chat with Amy Butler. Amy, welcome to the show. Wow, thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to be here with you. Oh, gosh, it's just, it's an honor to have you. I'm so excited to have you on the show. I have been loving what you've been bringing to the world for decades. And I always tell this little story uh, whenever I'm talking about Amy Butler Fabric that I was on the Facebook group recently in my hometown where you you can search out and sell things, you know, Facebook Marketplace. Mm -hmm. And I saw this little bundle of five inch squares that was Amy Butler fabric. And it was old school original, like love the beginnings of Amy (laughs) Butler fabric. And I pounced on that. And I was like, I will be there in 10 minutes. And I jumped in my car and ran and got it. (laughs) And I had so much fun with it. But that's the kind of thing that's happening in the world when people see your beautiful designs. But I want to start by taking a look back at where it all started. So where did your creative journey begin? Oh gosh, since I was a little girl and I can remember my happiest moments just sitting with a coloring book or my dad worked at um, General Motors back in the day where they had the huge gigantic computers and it's just, it's just nuts. And there was these huge reams of computer paper he'd bring home for me to color on and they weren't perfect. They had like a little, you know, the little holes along the sides that feed into the machine And then they had like these subtle, like pale green spearmint colored stripes, but I didn't care. I like Mm -hmm. had my box of 64 Crayolas and pencils. And so ever since I was a kid, that was always my happy place. And my family was very creative. So my mom's an artist. My mom was an artist and my um, grandmother was an artist and my sister's also creative. So we always grew up, you know, making things and doing things. And so it's kind of always been around me. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about your path? Did you go from school and young creativity into a career or education in creativity? 
Yeah, actually, all through all through high school, I had a wonderful art teacher. And one of the greatest things she did for us seniors is teach us that portfolios were a thing mm-hmm. and that it was really important that we put ourselves out in the world and go introduce ourselves to universities. And I knew I wanted to go to art school, specifically just art school, not not a liberal arts school. But my father wanted me to go to a liberal arts school so I could major in communications and minor in the arts so I could get a job. <laughs> Which any good parent, I think of that of that era of that ilk might say the same thing. So lucky for me, I didn't test very well. I did great in school. My grades were really good. But when it came to taking the SAT, I just broke down and I got really low scores. And I was one of those last minute testers. And the school that accepted me and gave me a little small financial boost was Columbus College of Art and Design. I grew up in Ohio. So this was about an hour and a half from where I lived. So this was my happy spot, my dream come true. So I got to go to art school. Oh, that is so great. Yeah. And did you really, like, did you really find going to art school that you learning all these new techniques that you were really able to flourish? Yes. I mean, just, I remember the feeling of just showing up at a place where there were a lot of people like me that loved art. That was probably, probably the thing that had the most impact on me was the community there and being able to just completely have myself be consumed with making and learning. And so I, and I particularly loved my school because it was a four and a half year program for everyone. And every year we had classical painting, classical drawing. I was a commercial, you know, phrased as a commercial student. I was actually the first textile and fashion design student at the school. My year, my class was the first year to, to have that. But so it was just very, very well-rounded. I mean, we had four years of color study. I mean, these were things that were very challenging, but also I just, it's such an innate part of my consciousness and the way I experience the world as a designer moving forward from the time I graduated from art school to now. It's just, and I know that it was because it was so ingrained in me when I was going through school. Yeah. And then just the variety of people and the mix of men and women that I got to, it was a very small school. So we became you know very close and um, it was just wonderful. And I met David at art school too, my husband. So that, that wasn't part of the plan, but it was like a nice, a nice side effect. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So how did you move from school into your creative career? Did you start off with the notion of, you know, Amy Butler design, or did you go into graphic design or something else like that? That's a really good question because uh, Amy Butler design didn't happen for years later. And it was this really interesting uh, trajectory of just kind of following one experience onto the next. And one of the things that was great about our school of graduating seniors, they had several companies that would come and give you an interview experience. And they were looking for hirees, but they the school also wanted us to have a professional experience of, again, creating a, a nice portfolio and presenting yourself. And um, one of the companies had two different situations where um, I was interviewing for my job and it was either going to be New York City or it was going to be Kansas City, Missouri. <laughs> two completely opposite ends of the earth. And at that time, when I was a senior, David and I were seriously dating and we didn't want to live apart from each other. But I did explore both opportunities by traveling to both spots. And and they were very diverse opportunities. The one was starting as an intern designer at Tahari in New York City. I had a wonderful fashion teacher who was 
fashion illustration teacher. She was an illustrator in the 60s. Her name was Billy Ingram, and she loved her students. And she would bring professional fashion designers in, kids that graduated years before that would come and spend time with us in our fashion class. And one gentleman, Jim Lutz, said, you know, I've got some friends in New York. I think you should talk to them. You've got a nice portfolio. I was doing fashion illustration and my own design, and I was doing a lot of textile design for my fashion designs. And uh, so I went and interviewed at Tahari, and they offered me a job to, for the first three months, I could live in a women's home, and they would pay me a minimum wage. And then if I worked out, then I would get a a substantial increase in my income where I could then get an apartment with several women. (laughs) I'm just like, I'm really a humble person. I don't need much, but that sounds tricky. (laughs) So I'm like, thank you. The other interview was Hallmark Cards in Kansas City, Missouri, and it was a division that exists in my company that's non-card product. So it's surface design oriented. So it's like party goods, gift wrap, invitations. And I ended up taking the job and we moved to Kansas City. And I worked for Hallmark Cards for four and a half years. Wow. And then, yeah, I'll let you take a breath. I keep, I can keep rolling. <laughs> no, it just sounds like a great beginning to a creative journey. And, and your husband, he traveled with you. So did he sort of, was he trying to find a job in the same industry at the same time? Actually, he was a graphic designer at the time and he was working for a small independent design studio in Columbus, Ohio. And he actually didn't move out until about seven months later. And we weren't married at that point. We we were together about four years before we actually got married. Yeah. And so he we had to kind of wait till he saved enough money to make the move. And he had a car, his Volkswagen. It was a Volkswagen Jetta. And he made the drive out and his car completely broke down. He had to spend all the money that he saved on fixing the car and it stressed him out. And so he, within two weeks, he had a job at River City Studios. <laughs> it was oh, like a crazy time for him. So he was working as a designer while I was working at Hallmark. And we had we lived in a couple different apartments and then we rented our first house while we lived there. Yeah. Well, and that is a very good creative beginning with a stable job that allows you to do something you love. So how did that transition over time into, you know, the idea of fabric pattern design and those kind of things. Well, it's interesting because while I was home, Hallmark is a very big company. It is a very good company. And I was working in a division of product development. I was a creative product developer was my actual title, CPD. And I was in a business unit, which I, in my mind, um, I wanted to, you know, I worked with a design studio. So I would come up, I would get a marketing plan from the business folks, the business team, and I would have to come up with a creative plan to meet their marketing in terms Uh of type of designs. What's the ethos? What's the style? What's the trend? What are we going to do? What are the color palettes? And then present that to the design studio. And then they would come up with the artwork and their own inspirations and themes based on that inspiration. And then that's how we would develop product and programs and launches that would match the you know the dream or the goal or the vision of the business team. Wow. So what ended up happening is I learned a lot about business. I would have never been exposed to that knowledge or that that even existed in the world on that degree or anywhere. And the flip side of that was I wasn't happy because I wasn't doing enough hands-on creativity mm-hmm. with my job. And about a year and a half into that position, I kept asking to be moved into other creative roles in the company that were purely creative. 
and I was doing such a good job, they wouldn't move me. <laughs> and they were short staff. So so at the so on the side, I had a couple different projects going that I was doing for myself to make me happy. And so one was I redid my whole fashion portfolio. And I've always been a huge fan of Christian Lacroix. And uh, I sent my portfolio to him in Paris, France. And I got a really nice rejection letter back from him. (laughs) Darling, you have a wonder, wonderment of fashion in your mind. So we don't have any uh, openings right now, but please continue to pursue this. And then he he made specific comments about designs that he loved. I mean, I couldn't believe it. It was a personal letter from him. And then at the same time, I was doing a lot of sewing for myself. So I've always been a self-sewer. And I've always was, was taking vintage fabrics and making things for all of our apartments and our home. And I started this little side business called Flatland Bags, where I was taking vintage quilt squares and blocks and buttons and old findings and mixing it with new material and making these passport style bags. And I started selling them all over the country in little shops, like kind of on the side through our trips, I'd stop by little shops and say, like an old, like an old salesman, hey, here are my wares. (laughs) And I ended up getting my things into little shops. So the tail end of that whole experience there was wanting to move back to Ohio became the impetus and the fact that I wasn't particularly happy with my role at Hallmark, even though it was such a great experience. I ended up leaving Hallmark and for a year I worked as a receptionist at the design studio where David worked. Okay. So I was the assistant and I learned about accounts payable and receivable invoicing, all of the things that a year later I'd be doing for us for our business. Yeah. So we moved back to Ohio in 1992 and started Art of the Midwest, our own design studio. Wow. Uh, and we could be near family and David had graphic design work and we downsized. I found a farmhouse for us to live in, which was an hour from Columbus, but it was the only thing I could find that had space for a studio near his family. And I was doing freelance surface designs with a group of ex-hallmarkers, selling them to, to a rep to Surtex in New York City, the big Surtex event. And she had a bunch of clients. And I picked apples for minimum wage to bring in extra cash to buy groceries during the week. And I walked to the apple orchard. (laughs) This is like back in the day, I used to walk to school. (laughs) Yeah. But that's that's what we did. And and then at the same time, we David was started developing his fine art when we were still in Kansas City and he was doing small group shows and a really wonderful found folk kind of ethos. And And I was doing a lot of quilting and making things with all the old fabrics. And we ended up that first year we moved back to Ohio in this rural little place. Kenyon College was about 30 minutes away and there was a community Christmas show. So I made Christmas ornaments and things with my little antique fabric scraps and jewelry. And David was making, you know, some of his smaller art pieces. And we made this, this little booth from the scrap barnwood on the farm we rented. And he hand painted a sign that said art of the Midwest and hung it on top of our little booth. And we took Christmas greenery and stuff and just laid it on the roof. It looked like a little manger scene. Yeah. And we were selling our wares there and it was so much fun. The The woman that was curating the art gallery at um, Kenyon College invited us to have a fine art show. Oh. So we had our first fine art. This is how it all goes. <laughs> yeah. like, this is great. It was just sort of like running after one running towards one creative opportunity to the next. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, we've got time. That sounds like fun. That would be great. And so we we made a whole body of work for the Olin Gallery at Kenyon College. And we ended up getting a lot of exposure and meeting a lot of people through that show. One person being another 
fellow illustrator and artist who's doing children's books at the time started to collaborate with us on a children's book project. And then he knew someone who was a designer in Cincinnati who had her own studio. She came up and looked at the show and then she started hiring us for illustration and graphic design. And, oh, you should meet my friend Jane Jenny, who's an illustration rep in in, uh, St. Paul, Missouri. And so we connected with Jane Jenny within about a two-year period at that time frame and had illustration portfolios. And she was representing our work um, all over the country. So I was at that time I was doing illustrations for Starbucks posters. Um, I was doing I was doing album cover sketches for the Rolling Stones. It's just crazy, like (laughs) nutty, amazing, wonderful illustration. And then David was doing something similar. So we had our Art in the West portfolio, and we worked with Jane for three years before we actually met her in person. And this was before the internet existed. Yeah, so it was fascinating kind of rolling flowing snowball yeah well it sounds like it really sounds like a path where you took a job here and there and everything that you did gave you a little education in business a little education in finance a little education in freelancing and you just kept building on the experiences and trying to keep that trajectory towards doing the things that you loved to do Yeah, it was really fun. We were given all these opportunities to make art and do the things, you know, create the things that we wanted to create. And people were responding to that. And it was, we were being hired for our style and our our technique, just the ethos of our work. So uh, it wasn't sort of a classical illustration sort of relationship. It was more of, we were being hired specifically for our styles and what we were doing. And what we were doing was just what we knew how to do and what we loved to do. Yeah. So that that was also really gratifying. Um, okay. And so before we continue into the path of what became Amy Butler Designs, let's just take a second to ask, where are you living in the world now? And who are your loved ones that you share your world with every day? Oh, that's nice. Um, well, we're living in Granville, Ohio. And we've been here over 22 years. And our home is our studio. So we, the whole top level is our living space and the whole bottom level of the home is our creative space. And so it's David and I and our four kitties. So we have Tutu and Uzi and Chico and Snoop. (laughs) So we're talking about this wonderful path where you're trying to sort of stay on a trajectory, doing the things that you love. And so how did that start to form with David into the idea of, Maybe we could actually create a business for ourselves. Well, it was being being self-employed, at, you know, and since we moved back to Ohio, it was it was more sort of a continual calling in of opportunities and work. And so technically we were freelancing. And at that point we didn't have any books published or anything like that. That all was was happening soon after that. But I think the thing that that led led us closer to what actually developed with Amy Butler was when we moved from our apartment into our first home, which was in 1995. And we complete, it's an old Dutch colonial, a 1916 Dutch colonial. And we enjoyed remodeling that home so much. We turned it into a jewel box. Every room was a beautiful, rich color. We had a lot of folk art and antique furnishings and our artwork and plants and we just I stenciled the kitchen cabinets. I mean, it was like an art piece and we loved it. And 
about that time, we had become close friends with uh, another couple here in Granville. Actually, we were living in Mount Vernon, about 30 minutes away. And David was starting to do some freelance graphic design for Keith. He was working as a um, product developer at Bath and Body Works in Columbus. And we developed a nice friendship. And they part of their passion and creativity was was taking old homes and renovating them. And they were big antique collectors and art people. And their home was being featured in Country Living Magazine. And they said, oh, we're going to tell them about your house. Your house would be perfect for the magazine. So they photographed our magazine, our house for the magazine, and we became connected to Nancy Sariana, who was the editor-in-chief at the time. And she loved what all of us were creating in our lives. The Keegans were had worked creatively, but their big creative outlet were their homes. And we were freelance artists and designers doing all this work. And she said, could you guys produce some stories for us for the magazine? So we became contributing editors. So we were still doing the work we were doing, but they were hiring us to develop story ideas. So we, between the four of us, we would produce these lavish, entertaining things for the holidays or for, you know, Halloween and bonfires and farm table dinners. And and then Nancy's like, you know, I've really been eyeballing your, your fabric collection because she'd visit us at least two or three times a year. And at this point, we'd been working with them for maybe a couple of years. She said, you know, could you do something with your fabrics, you know, some how-to you know, because you're doing all these wonderful things like pillows and making bags and gifts and doing all these cool things. I'd love you to do that for our readers. And they, this is, I have huge textile collectors in our community and I know they would enjoy this. So I produced a couple textile stories. And as we were developing the content, I was having all these things. I was designing all these things. I was sewing things. I was having my friend Diane sew things with me. And we, we styled these beautiful, these beautiful photos. They'd send a professional photographer and she's like, and I would write just a few little blips about, you can take these hankies and create this amazing bolster. And she's like, well, you know, can we give them instructions somehow? And at that time, again, there was no internet. <laughs> so all of their readership was all through the mail. And also any kind of special offers they ran through the magazine, they'd have like little coupons, like right on the sidebars back in the advertising sections. Yeah. And I said, well, I could develop sewing patterns and we could sell them through the magazine for the projects because um, we had another good uh, set of friends who she's an embroidery designer, cross-stitch designer. She had a wonderful business. She and her husband, she designed the patterns. Her husband had them printed and she was selling cross-stitch and they're like, just, you can use our printer guy or we can connect you with people to talk to and figure out how to make these patterns. So that's what I did. I actually, I went to New York and I licensed, I had a license. I licensed the country living brand for the wow. first sewing pattern collection. <laughs> and it was Country Living Sewing Patterns by Amy Butler. And it was the four or five projects that we were featuring in the story. And they took off in the magazine. They sold really great for like a year and a half. And at that point, we had moved to our, our next home in town, a, a big historic Tudor revival. And we had our studio upstairs. And the magazine decided to stop their fulfillment. So they they were managing a big warehouse because they were selling country living pottery and country living bedding and now these sewing patterns and whatnot. And they, as for an expense savings or whatever for the corporation, they closed the fulfillment, but they still kept getting letters from people wanting the sewing patterns. They're like, Amy, do you have any ideas, you know, what we can do? And I said, well, I can sell them, continue to sell them to you wholesale as you get requests, or you can send people to me. 
And in the meantime, I was shopping at my local quilt shops for all the fabrics I loved. You know, I'd look at the end of the bolt and I'd look at a designer's name, like Kate Facet wasn't out in the world quite, quite yet. I can't remember some of the other designers that were out in the world at that time, but I just remember loving all the fabrics and it would be so cool if I had my own fabric line, you know, just really like, like back in my mind kind of idea. And I asked a couple of quilt shop owners where I shop. I said, do you have any idea? I have these sewing patterns and they were selling mostly quilt patterns in their shops, not a lot of bags and accessories. It wasn't quite popular yet to do those kinds of things. And they're like, well, we don't have anything like that. I'm not sure what to tell you, but you could try taking them to a wholesale show. There's this big thing called Quilt Market. I'm like, I'll do it. So I signed up for my first Quilt Market. It was the following, that was in the fall. So it would have been the next May. It was the May show. And it was in Kansas City, ironically, where we used to live. <laughs> and um, so I, I had the license with Country Living. I brought my first five patterns. I never done a show booth before, but we've done all the styling for the magazine. We've done all these homes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to make it pretty like I would in my studio or in our home or something. And I had my first booth and people enjoyed it immensely. It didn't look like anything else that was in the world at the time. Yeah. And um, there were some people that were just like, oh my God, I don't get this. This is weird. And I was approached by four different fabric companies to design a fabric line just based on the styling and what I was doing and kind of how I was looking at things. And I decided to go with Free Spirit. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Developed a long relationship with Donna Wilder. So that's kind of where everything, as far as the business evolving as a brand, it started at that point. And all along the way, I was still doing freelance illustration. And working on the pattern business on the side. And I thought, wow, that'd be cool if this took off and turned into something. Yeah. <laughs> and then finally, the balance shifted where I was able to afford to spend more of my time focusing on the patterns. And in the course of about a year and a half, they became very popular. And I had a lot of international interest. And the issue with Country Living, this is how Amy Butler came around. The issue with Country Living was they couldn't sell their brand outside of the U.S. Oh, so that's where we created the Amy Butler logo so I could sell it to international people. So for about six months, I was selling my domestic to my domestic folks, Amy Butler for country living sewing patterns. And I'd take the same pattern and repackage and re- do the remarketing in the Amy Butler green logo for my international friends. Yeah. And then that became a little bit to manage. It was okay. But I'm like, this is a little sticky. You know, I finally got the confidence to... Um, let go of the country living license and put everything under Amy Butler. Yeah. And from that point, the patterns and the fabrics were just symbiotic and we would show at the quilt market and we've, we did all of our own photography and marketing and setup and styling and creation. And they just worked beautifully together. And that's really kind of where everything took off. Can you describe a little bit what that first booth looked like just in a little bit more detail? Sure. We rented a 15-person passenger van to get everything to Kansas City. And I used the pole work. They have metal poles. If you've never been to a quilt market, everybody listening, it's just sort of like a 10 by 10 framework. And then you build your booth however you like within that space. You could bring hard walls in it if you want, or you can use fabric. So I used natural canvas for my walls. So that kind of encased us. And then at the opening of the booth, I took sheer 
it was sort of like an olive green sheer fabric that I took sort of green beaded fringe, the plastic beaded fringe you can you can get at the the sewing shops, the big the big box sewing shops. And I so it had like a beaded beaded sort of fringy entrance. It was very kind of feminine looking. Yeah. And then I put antique like vintage rugs on the floor. And did I do that yet or did I know? I actually we had a decal made for the floor. So I thought the concrete looked cool. Yeah. And I didn't know years until years later that you're not supposed to have uncovered floors. Like that's a, like a no-no, oh. but I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and then I brought antique pieces of furniture, like pieces of parts of like old, like jelly covered shelves and yeah. like little, little um, farm tables that I could put that little shelf system on. And I opened all the little drawers and displayed the patterns and then other like little surprises of like fabrics and trinkets. And then all the samples of the patterns were displayed all over the booth on vintage mannequins or some of it was like poofy pillowy kind of things that I displayed on like a little, a little ottoman that I brought and I covered with canvas. So my, I sort of had a neutral canvas base and then I just made it all luscious with all the pretty colors of the, mm-hmm. of the fabrics. And I displayed with, because it was sewing patterns, I was displaying with mostly vintage fabric and all the patterns were created with vintage fabric and some new quilting fabrics kind of mixed in. Yeah. It was it was like a little boudoir. It felt like a boudoir, like a yeah. little private lady room. <laughs> it was really sweet. I could see how it would be a big hit. I think nowadays people in the quilting world are trying to capture that same kind of essence. They're trying to have people come around the corner and have a whole new little world that surprises everyone. And yeah. you were doing that right from the beginning. You were doing so many things, Amy, decades ago that people are just latching onto now, like upcycling and all that is just so huge right now. And you were doing it way back then with your very first little messenger bags and things that you were making. So definitely a trendsetter. It's so exciting to sort of hear the beginnings of your journey. So I want to know a little more about how the business kind of blossomed from there. You were getting your first taste of success. When did you really start to think, oh, like this is going to be a thing. This is working out all right. You know, it's sort of like aging. It's it's happening. You don't realize it's happening on some level. It's like yeah. I look in the mirror and like, oh, wow, you've aged. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's cool. How did that happen? <laughs> it's, it's, you know, life stages. And it's it was just sort of, you know, we Dave and I both have a strong sense of intuition. And we do like to make choices that are inspiring. And we try to balance that with, a certain level of practicality in terms of uh, feeling feeling like we understand the basis of our income for our life flow. Yeah. And still up to that point, just before David decided to step away from freelancing, we were doing the sewing patterns and the fabric and Amy Butler design full-time together. It was p- shortly after... I started to build relationships with a lot of different licenses and different companies and manufacturers and home decor, like the wallpaper and the bedding and the rugs and other items. And at the same time, the sewing pattern business was just getting huge. It was really taking off. And that gave us the confidence to have David be able to step away from his freelance work. But also at the same time, shortly after that point, we realized that we needed help. So at one point in time, when that was all really sort of exploding, probably around 2007, 2008, we had books coming out in the world. We had all these licenses. The fabrics were doing really well and continuing to, people continue to really enjoy them. And 
we were getting a lot more exposure and we had to hire nine folks to help us at one point we had three studios oh Oh, that's great and then in hindsight it's like wow you know maybe now the people that we are we could probably not have have hired that many folks but it it was like so overwhelming in that moment uh, that it felt like I needed that kind of help because there's such a level of detail that goes into the things that we already had on our plate with the fabrics and the sewing patterns and then having these light licensing partnerships where I have to translate that same level of care and detail and passion into those relationships. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad we had the help when we did, but yeah. that was also, you know, kind of the time where David's like, you know, I think I need to jump in and help full time. Yeah. So we were producing a lot of different things at the same time. So yeah. it worked out great. It's so exciting. I, I want to tell you that I actually remember the first moment that I ever saw your fabric. It was in central Canada where I used to live in Winnipeg. And I don't know what year it was, maybe late 2000s, but I walked into this giant fabric store, not a quilt shop, but a giant fabric store. And right in the front entrance, there's this huge display of thicker than quilting cotton. It was like a outdoor fabric you'd use on pillows or something. And I was just yeah. like, what is this? Wait a minute. What is this? I've never seen this before. <laughs> That's so and fun. also along with those, they had a bunch of bolts of quilting cotton so that you can make other things to go with it. And I was just like, I'll have some little bit of every one, please. Like I just have to try this all. And I fell in love <laughs> with wonderful. it. And some of my earliest memories of quilting with your fabric was at retreats. I went to a retreat one time in Manitoba where I was laying your fabrics on the entire floorscape of the upper loft of this retreat. And everybody would come up like, what are you making? What are you making? And I was making beach blankets for all of the females in my family. So I think I made three of them at that retreat. And so they all have these beach blankets with canvas on the back and all the Amy Butler fabrics. And I think my sister to this day, she won't use it outside. She doesn't want it to fade in the sun. <laughs> so, <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's incredible. But yeah, oh, I really I have, and it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. Okay, so let's get back into kind of the story. I, I love to hear about how your love for design blossomed over time. So I described your aesthetic earlier as comfort. That's how I would describe it because it brings me comfort and it just feels like comfort to me. But how would you describe your own aesthetic and how it changed over time. You know, early on, this maybe more as a, a brief marketing description was like vintage modern, because I live in two worlds all the time, and that is true to how we live now. We live in a, a mid-century modern home that is an eclectic combination of, you know, turn of the century jelly cupboards, modern couches, plants everywhere. You know, it's kind of like a earthy mid-century hippie, you know, because I I love the beautiful old vintage designs. I mean, that's always been a huge inspiration for me. And I'm sure that it comes from my upbringing. Um, And I, my homes were always eclectic that I grew up in. My mom and grandma would take me to all the auctions and mostly garage sales. And they'd buy these beautiful, my grandma had this beautiful collection of old decorative dishes. They're absolutely stunning. And she got them cheap at the garage sales. She didn't have a lot of money but they were beautiful still, even though they had little chips and things, she'd pay 50 cents for them. I inherited them all. Yeah. And so I just remember looking at that cabinet in her home and just being like, oh, those designs. And to this day, that just moves me so much. And so I think, I think living in both worlds in terms of what I really enjoy as far as design and kind of where I come from, 
a sort of like eclectic, eclectic, earthy, modern with the vintage, with a little vintage nudge because it's just such a huge part of who I am and what I love. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Such a good description. Now on your website now, you talk about this as your colorful past, but it's actually a cute way of saying it because it's not in the usual sense that you were naughty or anything like that. It's in the literal (laughs) sense that your world was filled with color and design. So let's make that little stretch from there when you're flowing and growing and everything was going really well. Fast forward, like how did that transition go from then until now? Well, it's, and I've thought about this a lot since we first started chatting. And I think one thing about my character is I love learning new things. I love expanding who I am as a person. And I think one thing that I've done a good job at is allow new things to come into my life that excite me. And I don't always have to have a place for it. I don't have a compartment for it. I just sort of follow those things that I become very passionate about. And sort of towards the latter part of my relationship with my sewing patterns and the fabric industry is really starting to change quite a bit. And during that period, probably maybe two years before I actually transitioned fully out of the fabric industry, I had developed a passion project with Dave called Blossom Magazine. And this is also really reflective of my personal journey and the things that inspire me where my, my creativity is a huge part of that, but my spirit is a huge part of that and nurturing myself and, and trying to bring something positive into my own life that is both healing and expansive, but also to share that with other people and spending time with other people all through my whole experience with the fabrics. One of my very favorite things was going to visit a quilt shop or going to quilt market and talking to people visiting and talking about our creative experiences and completely wanting to give as much of myself to them as I could because I felt that it was such a wonderful opportunity to connect with like-minded people and also expanding beyond like reflecting what my own personal journey is into my life and wanting to share that with other people, it sort of started to spiderweb into these other creative outlets like Blossom. And so in Blossom, the whole idea is that it's it's an inspiration experience. So inspiration in terms of creativity, how you're living in the world, personal journeys, experiences, and it's really about celebrating the uniqueness of everyone's journey and all of our stories and how that builds who we are and who how much that matters that we're true to that in the world and how that brings so much to our lives but others as well yeah and really that that whole the story of continual celebration of people on these completely unique journeys going through life challenges like we all do and allowing that to inform their expansion and and having it be a jumping off point of creating something beautiful or someone being courageous and like, I can't stop thinking about making this thing and bringing it into the world. It doesn't make any sense in my life. Everyone's telling me not to do it. It's not logical, but damn it, I've got to do this. I got to make this thing. And it ends up blessing all these people. Yeah. And and it's circular, it's secular, you know, it's circular. It comes back to you. But that's really not why we do the things we do. We're giving something back. We're making something as makers. I just, it's, I get goosebumps thinking about it because it's such a a pure form of who we really are as humans. 
and it's not just about making art or sewing, being creative. It's like being creative in your life in every aspect of life. Yeah. I love that conversation. So I I cannot have a podcast with Amy Butler without diving deep into design. So I want to talk a little bit about your intensive design days. When you saw something in the world that sparked an idea, how did you capture that? Well, I've always been a huge photographer and so and a collector. So I I'm sort of like a what's the bird that likes shiny objects? <laughs> I can't remember. Magpie. Magpie. So, okay. And I don't, I, I, you know, when you're creating or you're like bringing in things that inspire you, you don't really know where it's going to lead. And so my creative board, I've always had a creative board behind me. So something that inspires me, I, I bring it into my visual, my physical space so I can see it, live with it, spend time with it. And right now on my board, I have vintage Kanta silk embroideries and I have Guatemalan weepil and Japanese uh, kimono fabric and hand-stitched hearts from Oaxaca, Mexico and Sajada Shaw's quilt top and like all these things and paintings. And and so that's one way that my designs would be informed. It's like, I'm, I'm just sort of through osmosis. I get exposed by the things that I love around me or taking a lot of photographs and you know, my iPhone's wonderful now. It's so much easier to capture inspiration or things that are beautiful. But back in the day, it was literally, I, I did a little digital camera or I had my old Nikon and in writing, just writing down ideas as things come along and just kind of leaving it there. And then when the time would come, like there's, there's such a secular schedule with, there's definitely like timelines that you have to sort of back engineer from for developing anything like a fabric line. If you decide on a sign, uh, pattern launch or working with licenses and partnerships, you know, they've got a new program, you know, the Mikasa dishes have to be launched, you know, next fall at this market. And it's like sitting down and I would allow myself time to just fiddle around and look at the things, like look at the things in my studio, look at the piles of like magazine inspiration. Like I used to subscribe to a lot of magazines and I make little piles of beautiful colors or interiors or pattern combinations that I thought would be great. And then similarly, how I used to make my color palettes, I would just call all these things in front of me and let them inform like a color palette or a design ethos. And then from there, I would build the concept around that. And for my whole fabric career, I I would purchase vintage artwork and I would repurpose it. I would recreate it. I would either digitally, David would help me remaster something, or sometimes I would take the original vintage piece and rescale it, rearrange it and recolor everything. And I would do it all by hand with markers because I don't know how to design on the computer. I didn't... Wow. I didn't really, I didn't get any computer education. It was just coming to my school when I was graduating and Dave is self-taught and is really super evolved and very skilled with all of his experience. And as I went on later in my design career with the fabrics, I would have to hire freelance pattern, technical pattern designers to put my artwork into repeat. Mm -hmm. And once I had a technical repeat, I would put it on my light box and I have all my colored markers, and I would have my color palettes that I made from magazine tears. I I used to teach color classes by just 
you, you know, throw colors together from tears that you love and it's all intuitive and it's all in there. And this is a, a physical way to bring out the color that's in you. And then I would match with paint chips from the paint store and I would make a color palette and then I would match my markers to the color palette and I'd number them all like 46 colors or whatever it is. And then I would make these grids of these colorings that I would do. And I would do all my colorways that way and they would all be numbered. It would be a grid. It was all so, so hand done. Yeah, um, it's like you had your own personal <laughs> manual. What what you yeah. were doing back in those days was what we would do now on Pinterest with collections of things or on in Illustrator with yeah. and you did everything manually. That's quite impressive. It was I loved it. I loved doing that because I would just get lost and you know I like I'm I've got two weeks or however much time I've given myself in my schedule to like just I'm just gonna focus on making artwork. And and then just from there, it would just go on to like getting the technical production would have to go to Korea at the time that quilt fabrics are being done. Most of them still probably are being printed in Korea. And they'd send the strike offs back, which is how they do it now. And then you look through all the strike offs and make your color changes and tweaks. And it's changed over the years how many strike offs you're allowed to edit and change. But I was really very particular about the color. And sometimes the colors would come back better than what I had even specced. But, and then until the final strike-offs are approved by me, then they, and also the fabric company, my my cohort at the fabric company is happy technically with where everything is. Then they go into production. And then six months later, you get a collection. Yeah. Do you remember the first time that you had your own fabric that you created in your hands? Oh, yeah. It was I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I still I still can't believe it. I remember I was working with Donna Wilder at Free Spirit and she and her sister owned a beautiful lake house in uh, North Central Pennsylvania. And when the first strike offs were coming and it was actually through the whole process of me creating the artwork and showing her collections and stuff, we'd meet at this lake house in Pennsylvania. Dave and I would drive over from Ohio. And the first strike, she had the first strike offs at her place and we went over them together and it was just, it was magical. Um, just imagine. Thrilling. So much fun. And did you ever walk into a, a quilt shop or a store for the first time and see your fabric on the shelf? Oh yeah. Several <laughs> times and all, all over the place. I mean, just being sort of um, awestruck just by just not even thinking about it and then bumping into it. It was really fun. Yeah. It was fun to travel overseas and do the different tours and experience the different shops around the world and and see the collections and meet the people. And it was wonderful. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the business in a nutshell. So you called it Amy Butler Designs. So what was it that made you use your own name? Was there something special about that? I don't think anybody's ever asked that. It it just felt natural, I guess. Early early on, when we lived in Kansas City, and I was we were I was making those little flatland bags. I had my little side business. That's the first time I ever felt like a legitimate designer because David made me a beautiful business card, and it was Amy Butler Textiles, and it was this beautiful little vintage clip of a uh, yarn ball with needles going through it, and it was just really kind of a classic. You did a little like a letterpress business card for me, and it was I loved it. So I think Amy Butler design just sort of, I think it followed suit from Amy Butler textiles. And I think that's kind of how we went to that point. And he similarly, 
he presented me with a business card and that's, that's when it actually turned to Amy Buller design. He's like, he yeah. just slides it across the table. And it was like Aww. the best feeling in the world. You just feel legitimate. You know, you feel real. You feel like, Oh, this is something. Yeah. And it's fascinating to me to think about the name Amy Butler Designs, because at first thought, I feel like, oh, what an iconic name. But when you think back to the very beginning, Amy is kind of a common name. You know, there are a lot of people out there named Amy, even Butler as a last name is quite a common name. So the fact that nowadays, when quilters or people sewists who are out in the world using your products and your fabric, they think of it as iconic means that you built that from the ground up. You took something that was just you and you created a brand out of it. So that's very inspiring. Okay. I just want to go a little further into kind of what you brought to the world in that era of your creative career. What did you bring to the world in a nutshell with the business? I think it's just an outlet for people to discover their their own creativity. I think I think it's it's sort of what's always been satisfying to me and how I've always described it is I enjoy the process so much of creating the fabric and the designs or whatever it is that I'm bringing to the world yeah. and sharing it with other people and then having them take that and create their own unique pieces out of that. So it's just sort of like it keeps paying forward this really lovely, just the way you were inspired and you had fun with my fabric and then you made those beautiful beach blankets for your family. It's just this incredible love that gets moved forward it's your love of doing becomes someone else's love of doing and ignites your your creativity is igniting it just ignites their creativity so I guess I'm a fire starter I'm a creativity fire starter (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely so of course you started off with illustrations and you had these different branches of your business you became a fabric designer and a pattern designer so let's dive into some of the patterns you've created along the way what were some of the ones that you were most proud of well the early patterns are really really sweet and they're very indicative of how I was sewing for myself like simple little bags and sort of like sort of a a country chic kind of flair, like a shabby chic kind of a a country girl vibe, but not country. It's hard to describe. So I just think that first little collection of patterns is is really sweet because it's so true to what I was making for myself. And then moving ahead to all the other patterns that I've done over the years, it's all been things that I love or things I would want to use or, you know, cool bags and totes and did a lot of interior things. And then later on through Blossom Magazine with creating patterns that would become related to the stories in the magazine. So we'd infuse both life inspiration stories, but a lot of creative interactive stories that we would produce just on an ethos or a style and a mood or a feel, and then have the the projects be aligned with the photo story, the the story that we're we're you know emulated in the in the magazine. And I'm really proud of the evolution of how they moved with me. And I felt like I was creating things at the time that I loved, but also I felt had a real sense of utility that people could really grab onto. Like some of the big ones would be like the Oh, the birdie sling was a huge one for years and it was reversible. And what was great about that pattern and some of my other patterns where they're very beginner friendly. Yeah. So I, I get a lot of stories from people and I'm really proud of that, that, that people were able to feel confident enough to make something and felt like secure enough to understand the sewing pattern and be inspired by the fabric and put it all together themselves. So I felt, I feel most proud of like jumpstarting people's sewing 
in their yeah. lives because that's something you have forever. And once you get going, you just, you know, just take off. Yeah. Now, this next question is going to lead us from pattern design into books and publications, and it is photography. I can't even tell you how brilliant your photography is. You translate what you're creating into something that is just achievable for the entire world. It's it it's so beautiful, oh, but yet so achievable. So tell us a little bit about your photography over time. Well, when we first started the sewing patterns, and, and for years, really all the sewing patterns and the photography that we would do for any of the marketing was David. Yeah. And he started out with a, a, just a regular Nikon camera and film, the very, very early stuff to a, a good chunk of what we were doing was mostly digital camera. So he was working with a can, Canon SLR. And I would set up or style the photo shoot and I, I would hire the model, which would be friends. <laughs> yeah. And we would set mostly set everything up at our house, but we did a lot of photography on location at our friends' homes or other spots. We'd rent out, there's some historic buildings here in town and we'd rent spaces. But as far as the photo quality for the majority of, I mean, for all the patterns and for all the marketing with the pattern business and, and the fabrics was all David. And that's one thing that we brought with us from art school. He was he minored in photography from mm -hmm. CCAD, and we both had a lot of photography through school. So when we first started our business, we didn't know any better to hire a photographer. Yeah, because you know you you do everything yourself, like you're scrappy, and we we had the training or we had the the gumption to do it ourselves. And then I think after having that experience with the magazine over the years, and then there were they hired professional photographers, but when it came to doing our own thing, we just relied on our own skills. Yeah. You took this, if we closed our eyes and imagined what a pattern would look like for a piece of clothing, it would be a white paper envelope with a cartoon-like sketch drawing of what you're going to be able to create. Or if you're in the quilting world, it would be a clear plastic sleeve with maybe a cover tucked in there. But you have taken it to a whole new level by having sort of the cardboard, beautiful aesthetic with gorgeous photography. And it just, you know, if there's 10 things on the wall, that's what we're going to be drawn to. So it just takes it to the next level. Well, you know, a big inspiration for us aesthetically at the time was Rowan Brand, because I started knitting, mm -hmm. oh, I don't know, about the time we started the sewing pattern business. I was starting doing the sewing patterns for country living. I was a new knitter. And my friend Nora was a huge knitter and she had all these beautiful Rowan books in her, in her home. And I'm like, Oh my God, what is that? That's incredible. It was like this, this, this incredibly sophisticated aesthetic doing these wonderful, it was like a sophisticated craft aesthetic. And that was hugely inspiring for us. And also what Martha Stewart has done and is doing, yeah. Yeah. you know, her magazine was a huge inspiration for us, you know, and way beyond anything else that was ever in the world at that time when she came out with Martha Stewart Living that had a huge impact on what we were attracted to and what we wanted to recreate so both of those entities became were a huge inspiration for the aesthetic we wanted to bring to sew, the sewing world yeah and we styled the photographs for the patterns and the fabric based on what we did in magazines we just wanted yeah. to bring that same connection to the and sophistication to the sewing industry 
Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like a little glimpse into a world, right? Like you've taken it beyond, let's just take a really good snapshot of this product to let's create a vignette that's a piece of the world that can then be photographed well. And every little detail in the background is is just right, right? So anyway, I loved the photography, everything I've ever seen mm-hmm. online, anywhere. So I'm, I just really wanted to ask that question. But I want to dive into books as well now. So tell us a little bit about some of your books and publications over the years. We have done a lot of books and we ended up being involved with several publishers before Amy Butler existed or the sewing patterns came to be. We so much serendipity and synchronicity. We during that early era when we were doing a lot of illustration, we were in Wengen, Switzerland on a vacation. And in our little hotel, it was sort of casual hour and people were still smoking at that time. It was really hot, but we're like kind of, we're non-smokers. So we're kind of clinging to one side of the room, you know, sipping our beers and hanging out. And this sunny woman just kind of walked up to us and said, with a British accent, she's like, you two look interesting. Tell me about yourselves. Then it was, it was this beautiful woman who had a publishing business. She had a relationship. She was based in England. She had a relationship with Andrews McMill in the U S and a very long story short, we ended up kind of inspired from the illustration work and our fine art that we were doing. I did a series of, I illustrated a series of books on famous quotes. So these were like little gift books. And then there was another series of like little gift cookbooks, like farmhand's favorite pies. And David designed everything. And we hired a good friend of ours who was a chef who created the recipes. So we did this first little series of books. So that was our first entree into publishing. And then jump ahead maybe three or four years later when we were in Mount Vernon before we moved here to Granville, we had always admired Chronicle books. We had a lot of Chronicle books in our personal collection and we made a presentation to appeal to Chronicle books to develop a series of stationary farmhand postcards, like based on David's vintage inspirations of like, you know, utilitarian farm imagery and drawings and sketches. And he we handmade this beautiful wooden box and he designed all this gorgeous stuff. He designed all the note cards. He made it as if it was an actual beautiful gift set that they used to do back in the day. And we made this whole presentation and we sent it to San Francisco. And that led into a 15 year relationship with Chronicle Books. Wow. So shortly after we had introduced ourselves to Chronicle with a stationary set, they produced that stationary set and they invited us soon after to create our first lifestyle book called found style. And so what was fun about found style is it was a culmination of our home and how we lived and how we built our lives and our aesthetic and how we design and style our home and also included several of our friends' homes. Mm -hmm. So it was all about eclectic living, collecting, building your own personal style with things that, that are found and integrating them with new and modern things. And that's kind of where our vintage modern aesthetic really started to expand. Yeah. So it's it's a capture and it's a timeless book. People are still enjoying it. We still get great feedback on the book. It was so much fun. Yeah. And I can see it online at uh, thriftbooks.com. So it is available online if you go ahead and search for it. It's called Found Style. Now tell me about a few of the other books that you created along the way. Well, as our relationship continued to evolve with Chronicle Books at the same time, we developed a partnership with a licensing agent, a publishing agent. And that relationship 
helped us develop several stitching books that exist, like Amy Butler's Little Stitches, Style Stitches was my first sewing book. And there was a whole series of sewing books that we created with Chronicle. And at the same time, Stuart Tabori and Chang wanted to work with us in the lifestyle category. So Chronicle was kind of, we were kind of dedicated and committed to creating this how-to books with Chronicle. And because we were developing the angle of lifestyle with Stuart Tabori and Chang, we were able to work with two publishers at the same time. So that was kind of a very pivotal time in terms of our publishing career and getting ourselves out in the world. And Amy Butler's Midwest Modern was the book that we created with Stuart and Tabori Chang. Yeah. And at that point, Amy Butler design was really starting to expand in the world. It was 2007 when that book came out and kind of everything was really at its peak in terms of my fabrics in the world and the sewing patterns. And it was really about a capture of a personal inspiration, but also, again, the focus of inspiring others. And it had a lot of focus on different aspects of our lives in terms of our home and style and design of our home and ideas and things that we value and that we find interesting and having little vignettes and little kind of sort of sidebar how-tos like how to start your own plants or like little fun little warm little tidbits here and there and then it went into a, a great focus on sewing and making and creativity and then entertaining was another category and so throughout the course of the year when we were publishing the book we would capture real life experiences with friends so we have a whole feature on travel and time with friends at a lake house and it's the food we made and it's the little moments of sipping wine with our feet and epsom salt baths while we're sitting on the lakeside and like little yeah. romantic very romantic sort of a peek into amy butler's world a little bit but it was more about just an inspiring invitation to life you know just yeah. it was just kind of who we are but what we do but more of an invitation to invite people to discover that for themselves yeah, I love that. And it's more than just a book full of patterns or, you know, a book full of things to learn. It's a book full of inspiration and a glimpse into a lifestyle, right? Yeah. Okay. So you write these words on your website. Most interesting is how my path has changed and rearranged in order for me to be my happiest self along the way. So new opportunities for expression could be revealed. So tell us why you wrote that. I created the website during COVID. It was about a year and a half, two years after I had transitioned from being a fabric designer in the industry and kind of moving moving towards these other focuses in my life. And I wanted to create a website that captured full circle all of my passions and what I have to offer, but also honor all of the aspects of what I've done, like the nod to my fabric world and how it's all really full circle and how how much those experiences have led me to the choices and experiences that I have now. And I just wanted it to be a doorway that people could walk through so they could relate. I think everything that I try to put out in the world, I want it to be relatable in a way where people can have a quiet thought in their mind about, oh, wow, I like thinking about that it's nice to see how to do that. Or that's how I feel. I think more so it's more like, oh my God, that's how I feel. Yeah. And people feel supported and sort of someone's got your back, you know, be you. I really, I really try to, to, to put all of my pieces together and have that 
maybe just mirrored back to people how their life is just like that. Mm -hmm. And that how you can, you reach into your experience to create something new all the time. Yeah. And I just wanted it to be usable and logical and make sense. And there are aspects that we are creating with the business in a COVID was so hard in a lot of ways, but it was also so expanding in many, many ways because we had to really literally get up every morning and be like, okay, so all of our revenue streams have completely stopped. And this is an opportunity to stop. First of all, just stopping was really healthy Mm -hmm. because it's really easy to just, you're going, you're going, you're going, you're doing your thing. And, and it's like, okay, well, what do we value? You know, what's important to us? How do we want to move forward? And, and, and also in the short sort of logical piece of that is how are we going to create something new that is something we love and want to do and expands on kind of where we are, but is, you know, a new spot to be, but also could generate income. And so the website was capturing that because honestly, up to that point, my website was probably 17 years old wow. and, and did not work very well. <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't reflective of who I was anymore. So that's how we, we landed there on the website. And I hope it feels inviting and, and somebody can pop on at any time and find something of value. It's sort of like having a book in your library, your personal shelf that, yeah. you know, yeah, that Deepak Chopra title looked really good at the time. And I opened it up. It's like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. And I opened it up 10 years later. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I get it. That I get inspiration from that now. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. There are so many inspiring things on your website. And we're going to dive into that in a moment. But I want to just sort of talk about, you made the gradual shift over time from design to home and fashion products. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, it was really the, it was such a blessing because the, my fabric designs, the the aesthetic of the design itself was so appealing to people. And it, it garnered a lot of attention from a lot of different professional industries and categories or people that wanted to work with us or align with us or do something with us, collaborate. And we really weren't looking for licensing agents. That wasn't really kind of in the scope of understanding, you know, when you're in the middle of what you're doing and you're so focused on the doing and creating, and we had a lot on our plates and we ended up working with Robin and Jason Rubenstein and from um, Product Lounge is the name of their company. And they're based in New York City. And they they courted us for probably a year and a half. And we're, we're kind of resisting, resisting. We had a lot of publishing relationships. And we're like, I don't know. I don't know. Do we have the time? Can we get into this? I'd love to do that. I'd love to design things and other categories. But they ended up building a relationship with us. And we partnered with them for three years. And brought all the wonderful licenses into our scope with the fabric in terms of the organic bedding collection with Wellspun. They created the relationship with us and Graham and Brown wallpaper. And they created the relationship with us with Macasa for dish collection and so on. And there are many other opportunities that were there on the table. We could only take on so much, but also again, what we ever were involved with has to be something that, that I really wanted to do. And so all of those things are very delicious to me, all things I wanted to do. <laughs> and so we figured out how to, to make it work. Yeah. So cool. Okay. So let's just talk about your website and what will they find if they hop onto your website? What kind of things? 
Well, they're going to find a few different categories of these are all the threads I've woven together that make up my life right now. And that I'm trying to extend and share with others. So one piece is Blossom Magazine, <laughs> which we produced several issues digitally through issue over the past five years. We haven't been able to produce another's, another magazine, basically because when COVID happened, we had to sort of reformat. And it's always been a passion project for us. Yeah. But the there's so much validity and there's so much interest and people enjoy it so much that we have a whole category on the website where you can access Blossom Magazine issues totally free and enjoy the articles on issue. Then I have another category that is about Caravan Souk, which mm-hmm. is the brand that that we blossomed out during COVID. We had created the brand. We're going to launch a home decor collection with a friend of ours who I had partnered with previously to create handmade rugs with. And we hadn't worked together in a few years and his family was going to sort of kind of be the financier for this launch. And Dave and I were um, responsible for creating and developing the brand, which is Caravan Soup and so on. And it ended up not being able to work out because of financial shifts within their family business. Mm-hmm. So we still had the brand and the ideas and the logo And I had all these experiences by traveling abroad, which has become a big piece of what I love to do and share with people is taking folks on these creative cultural immersions. And we primarily right now go to India and Morocco. Mm -hmm. And through the relationships with the families in India over the years through taking these tours, um, I had the idea of my friend Harsh, who has, he's got a family block printing business and screen printing business. So they procure the most gorgeous handmade fabrics. And I thought, you know, a lot of my friends in social media are creators, they're makers, they're sewists, they're they're patchwork folks, they're quilters. They would love this. And maybe I can reach out to Harsh, see if he's into like being able to figure out how to make the cuts for me and package it. So we worked together and he's like, sure, let's try it. And we had our first collection for Caravan Souk was mainly these fabric bundles, which are still really popular in the souk. And like the main point of like what Caravan Souk is in terms of sharing that with other creators. But through the time of development, I've also secured like beautiful handmade textiles. So really everything in Caravan Souk is about handmade. Okay. And it most of the content is inspired from our global travels. And some of the things it allows us to make things here in the studio and share them with folks. And then also friends of other artistic friends of mine. So we, I sort of curate each event and each show and we started doing them on Facebook during the Facebook lives. Yeah. And everyone loved it during COVID because we're all housebound and we need entertainment. And it was a way for them to, to bring inspiration into the world. And so that's, that's a whole category on the website where we explain our events and there's lots of inspiration and there's luscious photography and kind of gives you the idea about what Caravan Souk is and kind of what we have coming up in terms of experiences for people yeah definitely lush with photography so if you're thinking like you're listening right now and you're thinking oh i want to go check out this caravan souk you just head on over to amybutlerdesign.com and click on the shop tab right underneath there you'll see caravan souk shop info the events global retreats everything so you can go and check that out Okay, so after the break, we're going to talk a bit more about your travel and Reiki and the magazine a bit more. But right now, I want to talk a little bit about community. Community is huge for you. So tell me why. I think every step of the way, Dave and I have been together for 38 years. And 
one of the things that we always value and we never take for granted is your life is created not only through the energy and effort that you put into your life or your experiences, but it's largely due to the people that are around you. That it's it's not a singular path that you're you're the only you know one that's making your life great. It's like all these it's your community, the people that you live with. It's the support all along the way. It's it's your friends. It's your family. It's the the services and community that has given back to you when you've needed help. Yeah. And it's that that flow of positivity that not just feeds you, but it's so important to appreciate and give back and share that back with your community in whatever way is appropriate at all the different times in your life. And that giving back to your community could be your neighbor or your friend that's just had a great loss, or it could be, you know, a lot of what we do with Caravan Souk and what we've always done with our business is make donations to organizations that are making a lot of positive change in the world. And a lot of that is in our own backyard here in, in Ohio, where we live but also globally. And that's just something that we value because we couldn't be who we are, or live the lives that we live without the people around us in the communities we've lived in and the love, safety and resources that have been shared with us. So it just feels symbiotic and right to keep that flow circulating with everyone around us. Yeah, so great. And you have a newsletter as well or an email list. So how can people get involved in being on that list? And what kind of things do you offer there? We only send out one newsletter a month and sometimes two, depending if I've had to make some changes in some of our live events because I've or I haven't been able to attend for one reason or another and had to change the date. But primarily they're going to be details and updates about what we have to offer that's going on with Caravan Souk or our cultural tours that are happening. And Right now, since I don't have Blossom Magazine to share some of my personal inspirations, I try to weave in little tidbits of personal experience or something going on in my life at the time that's added value or meaning, or I've learned something or had a big aha moment that I think other people might benefit from or a resource of of sort of positive information or outlets for connecting with other people. I try to or great books that are going to be expansive or make you feel good, or just try to give little, little tidbits. And I'd like the newsletter to, to be a link or a step to the next level of what we do with Blossom Magazine. Right now it's had to um, be within the space that it's in. And that's really sort of a utility kind of a space, but I, I try to add little tidbits of personal value to that too. And the content's always inspiring. We always have great photography um, great resources that we try to share with folks about how to get involved with us. Yeah. Um, but if hopefully, you know, in the next year or so, my long-term plan is to have that be a jumping off point for people to have a new interaction and a new relationship with Blossom Magazine. Yeah, so great. Can you tell me some of the highlights of places you've traveled to bring your craft to the world? Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, Australia, England has been huge for us. We're big gardeners and Anglophiles. And I, I, maybe in another lifetime, I've lived in England before. I don't know exactly <laughs> how to explain how at home I feel in England. But those were those were big highlights for us too. And traveling all around the country in England and, and meeting all the different quilt shop owners and families in their community of Soas. And that was great fun and just getting to explore and 
the areas and meet people. It's just really super enriching. And it was a, a beautiful opportunity for us to travel a little bit. And we've always appreciated travel, but early on in our lives, it wasn't really something in our scope. Mm-hmm. So being able to launch into having more global experiences led into a lot of positive things for us. Yeah. So has there been a project or collaboration or something you did with your husband that has been most memorable for you along your journey? There are a couple different things. I think the first is back when we first moved back to Ohio and we were running this farmhouse in the middle of the country and Dave would go to Columbus and work his, you know, gig at his graphic design studio. And he was managing and developing creating different products and marketing things for different clients. And I was home painting my surface designs for the portfolio for Surtex. And it's like, wow. And this was, I never thought of myself as an illustrator. So this was when my illustration really kind of started. He would come home and he'd be like, I really need, you know, that would be the perfect, what you're doing in that drawing. Can you pull something like that out and kind of reinterpret it and this or that? I'm like, dude, I'm not an illustrator. You know, he's like, just, just do it. (laughs) (laughs) And that was a pivotal moment. That was one of the, you know, the first times we, we collaborated and kind of launched that whole aspect of, of my career, but also that first fine art show in Ohio at, at Kenyon College was was really amazing. And I would love to to have that experience again. And then the second one would be creating Blossom Magazine with David. Oh, by yeah. by far, something I'm really proud of. Okay. So in the world of Amy Butler, what brings you joy? Oh gosh. Well, the first thing I thought of is my cats because they're with me all the time and they're on me. We work from home. They're with us all the time. My friends, uh, David, like being together. I also like my alone time, but when I'm with my people, I love my people very deeply. And my garden, being in nature, I'm walking and we're lucky we have a bike path that's in the woods right behind where we live and just yeah. taking off and getting getting to go for a spin to be in nature brings me joy and brings me a lot of peace. I have a horse who has been life-changing since she's been in my in my world and I spend day, time with her at the barn every day. And that's otherworldly. I'm only ever in the present moment when I'm with her. And that's been amazing. Yeah. Um, and creating, you know, I love, I love creating. I love reading. I love surrounding myself with books and things that inspire me. Think if I can keep learning. I have way too many books on everything that I'm passionate about. I have all these horsey books. I have all these art books, <laughs> art supplies everywhere. <laughs> so that all makes me really happy. And I, right now I invite friends to come over and create with me to have girly crafty weekends because I haven't figured out how to fully weave making into my day every day. And I think that would really, truly make me happy. But when I'm making, I'm very joyful. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so right now we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk all about Amy's studio space, her incredible travel opportunities to rich cultural destinations for quilters and creatives, and what's coming soon. We'll be right back. The Square One Textile Art Workshop is now available. You can sign up anytime. You'll learn six fiber art techniques and create an art quilt start to finish. It's an on-demand course to take on your own time anytime, and you'll have it forever in your student portal. 
And if you've bought this course before, now's the time to go back and check it out again because I've changed all of the original replays to brand new videos. You're gonna love it and you get it forever with your original purchase. At only $37, it's a great deal. So go to quilteronfire.com to sign up for the Square One Textile Art Workshop today. The Japan Textile Tour with the Quilter on Fire is a go. Travelers are now booking their flights and we start our tour from Tokyo to Kyoto on May 19th, 2024. There are a few spots left, so if you need to check Japan off your bucket list, call Judy from Opulent Quilt Journeys at 1-877-235-3767 to book your trip today. And we are back with Amy Butler. Amy, can you tell us about your studio space? Where do you create? Well, I have my little nest and it's in the lower level of the house. So it's, I have a little studio space and then there's like a main room where kind of everything happens with caravan souk. It's been many different things over the years, but that's kind of what's happening there now. And then David's studio is on the other side of that space. And I have... I'm surrounded by, oh my God, it's crazy. I have right behind me, I have my huge design wall and it's covered with mostly vintage Indian textiles. I have some things from Mexico. I have photos of all the horses in my life that I love, my friend's artwork. I have photos of all my family members with me, my mom and my dad and um, my Auntie Bev and my Aunt Noelle. Either side of me or kind of my dysfunctional, functional, tables (laughs) it's kind of organized chaos right now but it's working for me I've had to like find this new flow in my life so that's sort of some practical things there and then I have all my notebooks and journals stacked there too from all the different webinars I've done on Reiki or animal things or horsey things and then I've got books and baskets of art supplies in two different big sections like little alcoves and then I have a beautiful north facing window on the opposite side of my working surface, which is like kind of my standing desk area. And I've got shelves with stacks of my ribbon designs, creativity books, travel books, and all the surfaces on all three tables are covered with crystals. Uh (laughs) This is wild. And then I have my Reiki table is right there in between it all. And I have two beautiful handmade antique Moroccan rugs under the table. And then to the right, I have an old flower bin, which is about an eight foot long table. And I have all my crystal bowls, my singing bowls, my Tibetan bowls there. And then I have two antique wooden cabinets. And the one cabinet features all my grandmother's decorative dishes. And the other cabinet has some beautiful textiles hanging on it. But mostly inside, it's more more practical, like stashes for like old ribbon and jewelry making tools and scraps of silk and supplies for workshops and for our retreats and so and, and then there's the the not so sexy printer right here <laughs> <laughs> and all my cords but I love it it's it's a very small space but it's it's always felt so good to me to be in here and it's had it's taken on many different many different shapes over the years yeah well, it sounds like you've surrounded yourself with creative vignettes that just lift you up and inspire creativity Okay, so what is your favorite time of day? Oh, morning. First thing in the morning after I feed the cats. Yeah. And what's the best thing that you think you do for your own self-care? Meditate. 
mm-hmm. meditate and pray and practice Reiki. Yeah. Okay. Tell me about the collaborations with Hildy Dunn. I want to talk a little bit about your international retreats and other creative experiences. Oh, sure. So Hildy Dunn is a senior life coach at Handout Life Coaching. And I met her 15 years ago at a retreat. I was, I traveled to, I think it was on the Omega Institute with my, my bestie, Kevin. And we went because Patricia Morano was teaching, uh, it was an intensity retreat, which is a mind, body, spirit. It's sort of like a physical workout, but you're saying positive affirmations while you're working out. It's like a, it's like a physical, soulful, integrative practice. And he was really into her and he's like, I want you to experience her. So we mainly went to do Patricia's retreat. It was like a three-day retreat at the Mega Institute. And a portion of the retreat involved sort of introspection and, you know, a life coaching aspect where sort of taking a look at yourself, kind of getting clear on what your desires are, what your goals are, um, kind of where you are emotionally, physically, spiritually, and where you want to, where you want to head. And Hildy led the portion of the retreat. And it was mind-blowing. I've I've never sat through an experience like that and been given time to really feel all the way through those big questions and write about it and journal about it and then have this community discussion. You know, there were 20 wonderful women in that group with Patricia and Hildy and, and Kevin. And it was just incredible. At the end of the retreat, they sent around a a little clipboard. Hildy's giving everybody a free 30-minute free coaching session. And it started going around the room and I'm getting big butterflies. I'm getting big butterflies. And I know if I say yes, my whole life is going to change. Like I, like things are going to get real if I, if I say yes to this and it did. (laughs) So she and I coached privately for probably a year and a half and became really close friends and there are a lot of tumultual aspects from my past and my family lineage and history and things. And so a, a big part of this work that I was doing with her was sort of seeking and identifying, doing a lot of healing and sort of captaining my future from, you know, creating these, these new experiences. And we enjoyed each other so much. We're like, you know, we brainstorm, like, how can we bring our worlds together? And I was doing some creative workshops and retreats. I was like a guest, I would be invited as a guest teacher to go travel and, and teach or, you know, collaborate with another teacher or or be part of a weekend retreat with several teachers. And I said, why don't we collaborate on something? My, my community would benefit hugely from life coaching and this information. And, you know, one of my biggest beliefs about creativity is it's the quickest way to, to intimately access who you really are and express who you really are. And, and that is a perfect raw space to invite being introspective and to be receptive to life coaching and to, to be receptive to that aspect of creating in your life. And that's what Handel's all about. So we started doing these retreats here in Granville and we um, call them dreaming and color retreats. So we'd have a whole aspect of the weekend. It would be a three, three day experience, like a Friday night meet and greet here at the house. And then we would rent a space. The last one we actually hosted at my house and people would come from all over the country. They'd stay in our little hotels here in Granville and we'd have great food from our local friend who'd make food for us. 
And we'd have sessions where we're creating where we did a whole, like with my fabrics, we would do like um, fabric decoupage and we do, we do intuitive quilting. We do color collage projects. And then we'd also like weave in and out of the life coaching. And so what we were doing creatively fed into the coaching and back and forth. So she and I continued to do those experiences together for about five years. And it was really, really wonderful and was also kind of a confidence building jumping off point to like create something globally with other folks and share experiences with other people in other locations. Yeah. And sort of stemming from that journey on your own personal journey, you became a Reiki master practitioner. So tell us about that. Sure. Reiki is, is a Japanese form of meditation. And it's an it's a energetic form of meditation, which basically, as a Reiki practitioner, you become attuned to become a, a vehicle for the energy to pass through you to someone else. So yeah. you're not doing any healing. It's the idea that you just become an energetic conduit for life force energy, chi. Yeah. Yeah. And basically what it does, it's a process of either subtle movements of touch or no touch. You don't have to touch. You can even do Reiki long distance. You don't have to be in the same physical space. And you intuitively work through what the person needs in terms of they will share with you kind of where they are, where they're feeling blockages, but as an energetically, you can feel things in their body. And as a practitioner, you're just asking the Reiki to attune to all these different areas. And what it does is it brings homeostasis back to the different energy centers of the body because our bodies totally know how to heal themselves. Mm-hmm. So in that deep state of relaxation in a Reiki meditation with a practitioner, you're able to go really deep and really relax where your body begins to heal. Yeah. And and any closed or blockage, blocked areas in the body are able to release because you're in such a deep state of relaxation. So I, it's it's really fascinating. And it's something that I received Reiki over the years, several different times. And I, I really believe in a lot of different kinds of holistic healing and holistic practices. And I mean, my dad was really ill. It's about a year before he passed. I thought, gosh, you know, I'd like to be able to help him in a deeper way. And I hadn't even thought about Reiki becoming a practitioner, but my, my close friend was getting her Ayurvedic license at a local yoga studio. And one of the pieces of her license was a whole aspect of Reiki. She said, I'm going to get my Reiki training and I'm going to be able to practice Reiki and include that in, in my Ayurvedic practice and my Reiki. And I'm like, what are the classes? And I thought, you know, I'm going to get myself signed up. So I got myself signed up for a class in that November, the several months later, because that was in the spring. And and I, my my thought was that's something that's gentle that I could bring to my dad. Yeah. And he passed before I was able to to get my Reiki practice and uh, my training. But I really believe that he brought me to Reiki because yeah. it's brought so much healing into my own life and that's really kind of where it all started. And then from there, I traveled to Canada to New Brunswick and there's a Reiki master teacher there. Her name is Pam Allen LeBlanc. And she was also at the time, I was deeply fascinated with horses and with my Reiki practice, I wanted to be able to work with animals and I wanted animal Reiki, but she was also teaching a couple other equine focused spiritual trainings 
and also offered Reiki master training. And I'm like, I'm coming a long way. Can I line up? She's like, I'm teaching all these classes in the same week. So I basically went for five days and I got my animal Reiki. I got my other equine trainees and I got my Reiki master training and certification. And then she became a huge influence in my life with Reiki. And then COVID happened and she offered incredible expanded online trainings and certifications. So during that period, I really expanded my Reiki training and certification as well. Yeah. I just love that. Okay. So from Reiki, I want to talk about the magazine. So you've mentioned the magazine Blossom a couple of times. And when you dive into the website at amybutlerdesign.com, you can simply click on Blossom Magazine and there are six gorgeous issues right there for you to peruse for free. So, you know, I, I was reading through the website, through the description and everything, and you're talking about a better world is constantly maintained, not finally achieved. So how are you trying to achieve that through the magazine? I, I think it's just offering people a doorway for them to walk through to find out what that means for them. You know, that nothing's, you know, I think culturally, what becomes a roadblock for most of us is we're sort of taught and trained to live life in a linear way and our value only exist within the parameters of how society expects us to be, or, you know, it's all very subtle. Sometimes it's not so subtle. And there's a lot of stress, pain, and suffering and trying to force yourself into something that you're not. And that's, that's such a deep truth. Yeah. Only saying that because when you're in that space, it's hard to honor who you really are and what you really need to bring to the world. Yeah, And sometimes we get stuck in that, that limbo ground where we, we don't have the courage or we're in so much fear to be able to reach for that. And so Blossom Magazine basically illustrates how other people are doing that in their lives, the courage of someone making life choices that weren't necessarily popular in the immediate community around them or their family. And they went ahead and created anyway, very logically, not always just like I'm throwing away my corporate job because I want to do this. It's like it's often just step by step that people feel like it's all or nothing. So they don't try. Yeah. And I want Blossom. Blossom is basically that's how I I say all those things because I'm saying them for me first. Yeah. Because that's been my experience. I've been caught up in living up to expectations that are ingrained in me from how I'm raised or how I was taught in school and not feeling secure or safe to really fully express myself in all situations. And creativity is one of those things that boldly comes forward in us. When I remember moments in my life where I felt so insecure and oddly enough, somehow I can make an art show and show up in public with very vulnerably with these things I've made and not worry about what people think because it's such a pure expression but in every other area of my life be so so trapped by worrying about what other people think yeah. from that old programming and so i think it's a roundabout way to say and show people or give them the invitation to to explore what's waiting for them or what's already there in front of them or it's like woven into your life and all i always would tell people in my my creative workshops like the thing that you love the most is the thing that you probably should be doing. Mm -hmm. And you can find little ways to get started. Like nothing happens with a big step or a big choice. It's like little baby steps. And then you're there. 
And I think it's that all or nothing idea that keeps a lot of us frozen from acting on our intuitive inspirations that will really make us happy. Yeah. And I think the pages of these magazines are a really good display of how you've gone through your journey and been brave and embraced change. It's it's on display front and center. So I love that. So you have been involved in all kinds of travel and you have these incredible culturally rich travel destinations that you offer now. But I want to talk a little bit about the story of how did you get into doing that? Where did you start and how did it evolve into these things that you now offer to others? It's it's really wonderful because that's probably the, one of the funnest things to do is look back and and be able to see the synchronicity or what had to line up for this thing to happen in your life. And we all have those great stories, but this is one of those stories because uh, it was, gosh, this has probably been 15 years ago. Dave and I were really fascinated with Morocco, wanted to, to travel there. And the fever pitch of wanting to go there in one location in particular was because when I was on a tour in England, I bumped into a friend from the States <laughs> Walked right, I'm doing a, uh, a book signing in Liberty of London, in downtown London. In walks my friend Joe. And we're like, what are you What are you doing here? <laughs> oh, I'm here with Holly Becker, who's a wonderful designer and, and blog writer, interior design blog writer. And I met Holly and we're chatting. And Joe was saying, yeah, oh, we just got back from Morocco. I'm like, really? Yeah, we, we're in Marrakesh and we stayed at this beautiful location called Peacock Pavilions. Oh my God, here, look at our pictures. It's gonna, it's amazing. You should look them up online. Yeah. So I get home, look it up online. It's like, oh my God, this is absolutely beautiful. This this husband, this couple has created this oasis. And the whole ethos of what they do is is so in my heart. And oh my God, it's just hard to describe. It's so luscious and amazing and artistic. And so Dave and I were like, we need to go here. We need to figure out how we can do this. And about that same time, we were at a quilt market and Brandon Mabley bops into our booth and he's like, Hey, you want to go to Egypt? Cause we were going to go to, we were going to try to go to Marrakesh that winter. Yeah. And we're like, Egypt. Sure. <laughs> so <laughs> we traveled with Brandon and Cave and um, Edit from Renaissance Ribbons, Edit Min. And we went to Egypt and had the most profound experience in Luxor. And we also went to Cairo, but so that kind of put off the trip to, to Marrakesh, but it was still something we wanted to do. Well, fast forward six months, I'm in Los Angeles. I'm teaching a color workshop at Kari Meng's French General. And at the end of class, I'm chatting with one of my students, April. And a portion of my creative presentation at the beginning of the class was like a slideshow, like inspiration from Egypt and India and these other places I had traveled and how it's influenced my design and color. and and She's like, you know, I love to travel too. And, you know, last year, a friend of mine, we took, we did a, led a creative tour, a creative group retreat at this wonderful place in Marrakesh. And I knew she was going to say Peacock Pavilions. It was Peacock Pavilions. <laughs> and she says, matter of fact, I'd like to go back again and I need a collaborator. Would you come teach with me? <laughs> so that's how we got to the wow. Peacock Pavilions. And I was, uh, a guest teacher at April's retreat. And the next year we had been chatting about doing it again. And then she reached out and said, you know, my husband and I need to shift gears. We're not going to be able to do these, these uh, Moraga retreats anymore. If, 
feel free to take guests there, bring invite guests and bring people over. And so that's how we started going to Peacock Pavilions. Wow. Yeah. And my similarly, my other story, I can tell you about India, how India yeah. happened. Yeah, please do. So y'all, y'all know Sajada Shah. She's an incredible, incredible designer. And she's she grew up in Delhi in India and then met her husband and then they've lived in the United States ever since. But she was attending her first quilt market. She had a, her first book come out with Martindale and she was walking. I was hanging out outside of my booth. I had a corner booth and I'm just kind of looking around. It was a quiet moment. And I see this beautiful woman walking down from the end of the aisle towards my booth with two armfuls, the most beautiful quilts I'd ever seen. And I didn't know Sajada at the time. I said, excuse me, who are you? And what are you, what's on your arm? <laughs> <laughs> So we hit it off. We became really close friends in that whole rest of that quilt market weekend. We'd get together and have tea and dream about how to get to India. (laughs) And we took a massive trip together. The next year, we went to the state of Gujarat and also the state of Rajasthan. And we had an amazing three-week experience. These two girls that love textiles, love India. And while we were there, we dreamed up the idea of like, can we figure out how to bring people here? Yeah. And that's how our Handmade India creative retreats began. Yeah. So your next one is coming up in February, February 3rd to 14th, 2024. Is that one full or can people still register for that? It is, it is full and we are, we are set. We do have a wait list and you, anyone is welcome to be asked to be added to the wait list because we, we do always have changes that happen because people's lives are lives and they cut things come up. But it's also nice to be on our first contact list if you're yeah. interested in a future creative tour with us too. That's always a great idea. Yeah, because if you're on the list, you get the notice the minute that registration opens for the next year, right? That's correct. Okay. And so for Morocco, you have new dates coming in 2025. Yes, we do. Okay. Um, we're already booking them for October. We're firming that up right now. And we've been in close contact with our friends at Peacock Pavilions because the they suffered great loss with that massive earthquake earthquake a couple months ago. And oh. they are rebuilding. They things are coming together. They feel like the infrastructure is fine. Um, they're bouncing back beautifully and they already have other retreats happening there now. Okay. So we're really looking forward to being with them again and being connected to that community. Oh, wonderful. Okay. So I don't want to leave this conversation before we dive into the lightning round, Robin. I love to ask, you know, what are you dreaming about doing still in the future? Oh, gosh. Dreaming about the future. I think creatively business-wise, I'm dreaming about finding a way for people to reconnect with Blossom Magazine or having it accessible to people in a new way. And I'm still trying to suss that out. But that's probably my number one sort of creative business thing I'd like to do. And number two, I'm just dreaming about designing my my weeks and my schedule where I'm I'm sitting and I'm making and I'm making things again yeah. that will inform something else. But just to kind of create that space in my life. I've had a lot of transition from what my responsibilities have been in my family to things shifting with the business and now kind of things settling into a new rhythm. I feel like I can create that space. Yeah, that is so great. I I kind of feel the same in a way because I have a big transition that just happened in my life. My son moved last week to Australia for a year. 
And I decided in December, you know, if I put creative time on my schedule every day, it will help me, you know, deal with, you know, just missing him and and that kind of thing and and the new transition. But I put it on my calendar for, you know, nine o'clock every evening, but it never happened. So I'm realizing, hmm, maybe I need to put it back in the morning or something when I yes, am exactly. doing I don't know. I have to find I feel the, the same. Right I feel the same way. It's like there, but it's yeah. not happening. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's so important. But why is that the first thing that falls off the end of our task list for some reason? Okay, so now it's time for the lightning round, Robin. It's a series of rapid fire questions, but it's super fun. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. What is your favorite tool for creating? Probably my iPhone right now. (laughs) Yeah, it's good. Digital. Okay. And what is a skill you'd still love to learn? There's so many things. I'm going to say rug hooking. Rug hooking. Ah, I mean, we've already just we've already established that you're an absolute lifelong learner. So it's nice to just be open to everything that comes your way. But rug hooking, yeah, I've never tried that. Has there been a mentor or a few who have really influenced you along your journey? David, my husband. Yeah. By far. Oh, how sweet. What motivates you to get out of the bed in the morning? Curiosity. Oh, that's great. Oh, have you ever had any weird, crazy, or funny fan moments? <laughs> uh, lovely fan moments. Nothing weird or, or uncomfortable or awkward, but emotional, like really sweet, tender, emotional moments where oh. I've met someone at a book signing and we're having pictures taken and we're putting our arms around each other and they're shaking and little tears are coming down the oh. side of their face because they're so happy to be, to be there. And it's, it's amazing, but so yeah. dif- very different to experience that. Yeah. Sweet. I imagine walking into Amy Butler's home and seeing your designs on the walls, your furniture, your beds, your pillows, your clothing from the past few decades, but it's probably not an art gallery of yourself. So is your house filled with your designs top to bottom, or do you have a unique style apart from your work? Definitely a unique style apart from my work, but in just informed by who I am that made the work. So it's very nature inspired. We have lots of, we have beautiful wood floors. We have, we put in vintage wood floors when we, we started to first working on the house years ago when we moved in and lots of huge plants. And I get that from my mom. It looks like a little jungle. It's kind of like crazy plant lady in here. <laughs> and all of our basic, our, our furnishings are neutral. And then I have a lot of gorgeous decorative pillows. A lot of them are from India. I have Indian quilts everywhere, throws, adding like nuances of print and wonderful vintage colors and earthy yeah. colors, a lot of blues and greens. And But it's, yeah. it's very warm and cozy. And you mentioned earlier in the podcast that you and David took great joy in decorating your first home together. So I imagine that it's an infusion of what you both love, right? Oh, most definitely. That's one of the fun things about a relationship is he yeah. he enjoys, he's a better stylist than me. He has such a great hand and an eye. I'm like, hey, stylist, can you please help me with this? <laughs> Put this together. So yeah, yeah that's fun. fun. My husband, well, we don't do a whole lot together on styling the house, but we we do have the chef and sous chef back and forth relationship in the kitchen. Oh, that's nice. That's <laughs> so perfect. That's, that's a lot of fun. Okay. What are some of your favorite collections of things that you own? Crystals yeah. <laughs> and stones. And whenever we travel, 
that was that's the funniest thing about Egypt. We brought home a bag of rocks oh. that were from the Sahara Desert. They were actually fossils and interesting things. So probably my favorite collections would be my crystals and the stones and little artifacts and little little tender pieces that were in my mom's collections and probably the little vintage dishes and the vintage textile pieces that I have. Those are probably my favorites. Yeah. You've already hinted to this earlier in the episode, but do you have any furry friends in your studio? I do. I just had one run through here now with a toy. I've got Tutu, who's our little female, and she's 10. And then her twin brother is Uzi. And we've got Chico and Snoop. And they're two brothers we adopted. They're also from the same litter. We adopted them when we were in Tennessee a couple years ago. Oh, fun. Thank you so much for braving the lightning round, Robin. That was fun. So I've mentioned your website at amybutlerdesign.com where we can find all the wonderful things we've been talking about today. But where's the best place for people to connect with you on social media? My Instagram or my Amy Butler Design Facebook page. So my Instagram page is Amy Butler Design and my Facebook page is Amy Butler Design and Blossom Magazine. Okay. Now, as we wrap up, Amy... What do you want people? Oh, I'm so sad that we're wrapping up. <laughs> we can I talk anytime you want. <laughs> I, I love you. <laughs> I, I've like, like a thousand more questions, but okay, we've got to wrap up. Okay, so let me start that again. Now, as we wrap up, Amy, what do you want people to take away most from our conversation today? I want people to be inspired by what's next for them. And, and I want that for myself too. That's that's really, I feel like it's our lives are constantly evolving. So I hope that people take away at least some illustrated ideas about it's doable and we're not stuck and we ha- always have options and that life is really happening for us all the time. Sometimes we just have to look where the dots are connecting and yeah. that can be the impetus that move us forward and to honor the things that we really love. Yeah, I love that. It almost really is just telling us Like what I'm taking from that is almost like live in the moment, you know, like, because you can have worry or you can have memories, but if you live in the moment and just take that one step, that's what I'm getting from this conversation. So I've loved every minute of chatting with you. So thank thank you you so much for being on the show and sharing your time with us today. Uh, It's been a total delight all the time that I've been able to spend with you. and, And I really appreciate this opportunity to talk and, talk about things that we both love and value. And it's wonderful to have a kindred spirit to connect with. Thank you so much. Oh, and I cannot wait to hear the feedback. I'm going to get email after email about this episode and it's going to be all joy. I just can't wait. <laughs> okay. I'm so happy. Okay. So that was my show with Amy Butler. I loved having the conversation about changing and rearranging your path in order to be your happiest self along the way. I think the Blossom magazine that she creates with David is such a wonderful gift back to her community. And I love how she has a purpose-driven company that gives back both locally and globally. It's definitely on my bucket list to join her for a global retreat or workshop. And I loved sharing her story with you. Do you own a Quilty Biz? The Quilter on Fire podcast has gone from 1,000 to over 5,000 downloads per week over the last year. And there was also that one that hit 20,000, remember, Tula Pink? If you advertise anywhere, why not consider a podcast ad? Quilter on Fire podcast ads bring great value, and they're not just here and gone. The ad stays up for the life of the podcast. 
Drop me a quick message or email me at brandy at quilteronfire.com to get your quilty business into the ears of thousands of quilters today. Thank you for listening to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Until next time, dream big and have fun in the studio with the Quilter on Fire.